sensitive is your data? That's a question that a lot of individuals and increasingly businesses are beginning to ask, certainly in the light of uh, implementation of GDPR, which many of our listeners will know will be coming into effect in May uh, this time uh, next year, actually May uh, 2018. Uh, today I'll be talking um, about da how data classification is a vital part of the uh, or being or becoming GDPR compliant. Uh, I'll be talking to uh, Fifth Step CEO Darren Ray. So, you know, so how sensitive is your data? Well, <laughs> that's a good so, yeah, data classification, it's a, it's a big topic and it's an important topic um, for GDPR, as you've said, but also for other regulations around the world as well. Um, increasingly, um, companies have to recognise what's um, personal information. Um, in the US, this is very often called uh, PII, uh, personal identifiable information. Um, so being able to classify and being able to understand uh, which systems or which data repositories fall into the scope of regulation or just in terms of needing to treat that information differently mm -hmm. um, is an important part of modern business. Okay, so uh, what is data classification? Okay, so under the terms of GDPR there's really two types of data. Um, data classification is the identification of, um, of those types of data within your organisation. So two types of data really are uh, personal information. Um, this is information that can identify a living individual um, who is based, who, who is a U, uh, uh, an EU resident for, um, for the sake of uh, okay. GDPR. Yeah. Now, identifying a, an individual, a living individual, um, the data is very, very broad. It can be as simple as name and address, okay, that identifies a living individual. Um, it can be uh, more complicated, such as a bank account number. Okay, bank yeah. account number uh, can be used to identify a living individual. Good. Okay, so um, it's uh, and it's unique in that respect. There are also under GDPR. There's also some controversial uh, aspects as well. So, IP address, which is something that when you browse the internet, you get an IP address. It's like a um, telephone number, for want of a better analogy, um, that your internet service provider gives you. So when you sign on with Wi-Fi, you get an IP address that identifies yeah. your individual machine at that point in time. Uh, websites that are collecting IP addresses, um, those are being considered uh, personal information under yeah. GDPR. Yeah. So you can see the, the scope and the remit is quite broad, and it's beyond the scope really of this podcast to go into a whole heap of detail what that is, because it needs a little bit more... Just a quick question, in terms of IP addresses, I, I heard somewhere recently, or I may have read somewhere, that in the US that legislation was going to be watered down so that you could trade IP addresses, is that is that right? Uh, yeah, actually what that is, is it's FCC regulations that were going to be put in place are now not going to be put in place. So um, the um, closing stages of the Obama um, uh, presidency, uh, rules were passed to say that um, ISPs could not um, sell information about which websites um, you visited and things right. like that yeah. um, and couldn't sell that information on to third parties uh, that was never in it was um, it was never actually put in place of, of, although it was passed mm. and uh, the Trump administration has, um, overturned uh, has, yeah, has overturned that and, uh, and rolled it back so there's a number of people in the US who were uh, wanting this to be uh, implemented didn't want um, you know, cold call information based on websites. Yeah, of course. Cool. No, I just thought I'd put that in there because we've got a lot of quite a few US listeners these days. So we have about fifty percent of our um, listenership 
um, is um, is based in the US. But yeah, that's a very good point. Well, that would be a point that affects the GDPR as well, because presumably, if, if say um, American businesses start, you know, if they do start trading IP addresses based in Europe, they'll be in, in breach of GDPR. They would be, um, although um, uh, arguably, I doubt um, that any. Uh, US-based uh, internet service provider um, is going to be targeting and selling services to EU uh, residents, mm. um, uh, not as a you know, not as a, a general rule. So yeah. uh, they'll fall outside of the scope of GDPR in that, uh, in that, in that respect. Right. Okay. All right. Anyway, so moving back slightly back on on, on track again. Then. Mm. So, but um, so w- w- is the data personal information? You know, yeah. uh, kept, how, well, how how does it essentially identify them? Yeah, so um, uh, so we said uh, you know name and address is is one bank accounts, yeah. IP addresses uh, are, are others, but there are numerous ones, and mustn't forget unstructured data as well. So uh, an example that I've used um, in other uh, discussions is um, the the man who lives at number twelve, the high street, um, barking whatever, yeah. um, who owns a red Porsche. Well. At the face of it, that doesn't identify a living individual because you know it's only saying the man um, who lives oh, I see, there. I see. Um, however, if there's only one man who lives there, or if there's only one Porsche owner who lives there, or if there's only one red Porsche owner who lives at that address, then actually it does identify a living individual. So the the rules around um, structured and unstructured data can be quite um, okay. you know quite uh, quite close. Other forms of personal information are um, things like HR records as well. So uh, HR assessments. Um, so um, if uh, you're taking someone through some kind of disciplinary process or any of that kind of thing, all of their HR records would all be personal uh, information and therefore um, would be protected under GD- GDPR. Okay. So what kind of category does uh, uh, sensitive uh, data fall under? Yeah, sensitive personal information is... Um, it's a special uh, kind of personal information. Um, it contains more sensitive information. It's things like um, union membership um, is considered to be uh, sensitive. Um, it contains details about um, an individual's sexual orientation or their sex life. Um, it also um, includes things like medical records, uh, biometric information, yeah. a whole heap of stuff that actually is that little bit more... Trade union membership. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, sorry, I thought I said that one at the beginning. Yeah, you just went with some Thanks for your attention all the way through. Um, I do try. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah um, yes, uh, union membership is uh, part, of that, um, yeah, part of that information. Now, um, sensitive personal information has to be encrypted and has to be treated um, slightly differently. So whilst you don't necessarily want to identify everything as being sensitive, um, you want to be, that's the point of data classification, is to get the right um, you know, categories of information. Yeah, yeah. And the third category, I guess, is um, you know, uh, that it's neither uh, personal information or sensitive personal information. So it falls outside of the scope of, uh, of both of those. But... Um, uh, so those are the three classifications. Another factor, though, that's important is where the data is stored. From okay. a security uh, perspective. Yeah, well, uh, GDPR very much relates to uh, the data of European residents. And I keep um, saying that because you you read, and I still read, um, a number of um, quite informed um, sources talking about European citizens. It actually doesn't have anything to do with citizenship. Um, let me give a, a real working example here. 
Um, let's imagine that uh, you have an employee who's based in New York. Um, uh, through joint agreement, obviously you're not kidnapping them. Joint agreement, you are um, you transfer them to the Paris office, for argument's sake. They now become a European resident because they live in Europe. They're uh, you know they've relocated to Europe. They're no longer, whilst they're a, um, a U.S. citizen, they are living and working in Paris. I see. Okay, yeah. so it's just the fact that actually you are located in Europe. That you're a resident. Yeah, you know, that you're a resident in Europe. So. Um, so that person's personal information would now um, come within scope okay. of, um, of GDPR. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, um, so when you read things that talk about residency, um, about citizenship rather, they really mean residency. Um, so make sure that uh, that you uh, that you're aware of that. So where the data is stored is important because uh, GDPR says that data that pertains to personal data information that pertains to European residents uh, cannot be stored outside Europe. Now, there are some arrangements that can be put in, in, in place. Um, yeah. It can be transferred to um, regions that have a similar um, uh, respect and regard and similar laws as GDPR, okay? Mm -hmm. But that does not include the, the uh, United States, okay? okay? So uh, that kind of data can't flow backwards and forwards in that way. Right. So, understanding where the data is stored, then that becomes ever more interesting because um, organisations are increasingly using cloud services, and when you store something in the cloud, you don't necessarily know where it is. Mm. So you have to make sure that your uh, your vendor management and your contract um, management is very much up to speed and is taking GDPR into account. Uh, what about uh, potential things that if you had a, uh, a call centre in, in, in another uh, jurisdiction or Absolutely. territory to say exactly the same applies. Uh, exactly the same because it relates to not only the storing of the data but the processing of the data. Now processing includes viewing, it includes storage, it includes entry, yeah. um, so all of those things. So uh, another quick example, um, I don't think we've given this example on the podcast before but another quick example, um, as I said it relates to um, data uh, not being exported. So even though I may be perfectly at liberty to view some data about um, the stuff at Fifth Step, for example, mm. when I travel to New York, if I view that data, um, you know, if I connect to our systems um, here in London and I view that data when I'm in New York, and yeah. I'm actually exporting that data, and that's illegal. Yeah, okay. um, so even though it's it, so it's not tied to me as an individual being given the right to view that data, it's about um, location and geography. And it's not. Uh, I could be wrong here. Um, I don't think I, I think I'm going to be. But um, in terms of in terms of digital, be confident. Be confident. <laughs> it's not just digital though. Supposing you had um, paper files uh, and they um, personal or sensitive pe you know, sheets of paper or documentation that on uh, going back from legacy many years or even recently? Broadly speaking, it is actually um, uh, digital, but if you scan them, then they become uh, uh, they become digital. So uh, paper records have to be stored securely and they have to be um, kept um, safe, but they don't necessarily fall under the remit. No, there is no order on them. Well, there you go. Well, that's the first time for everything. That's the first time on the podcast you've ever been wrong. Yeah. So how do, you, uh, um, how do you approach data classification? So the, there's... There's many, many different ways. Um, so we'll talk through a generic one um, in um, you know, just for the sake of the podcast to give uh, people a taste of um, how they might approach it. But there's a myriad of different ways and there will be different 
mechanisms and approaches for different organisations. Okay, this one might work. I mean, this will certainly work for smaller organisations. For larger organisations, they need to approach it differently. Perhaps mm-hmm. have a chat with Fifth Step and would uh, would would help them through. Obviously. Right. Um, so, um, so the the objective of your data classification is to understand uh, which data falls under the scope of GDPR. Okay, so which systems and which data repositories. Um, so that might be databases, for example, or file shares or cloud systems, those mm. kind of things. And uh, which systems do and which systems don't fall within scope. So um, first of all, you need to have a list of all of your systems and all of the uh, databases or data repositories, you know, network shares and things, as I've said. Yeah. And then you need to, um, you know, the approach that I would um, that we'll talk through here, will then prioritise each of those data sources, do a, um, a quick and dirty prioritisation, allowing you to move on to triage those systems that little bit further. So you would um, judge a system to be priority one um, if the system or the data repository um, is known to hold sensitive personal information. Okay. So that system okay. is very, very likely to have to change and very likely to have to have uh, new controls and perhaps even new processes, uh, policies, processes, and procedures um, around it. Uh, priority two would be a system or a repo- repository that is known to hold personal information, so not uh, not sensitive personal information, just personal information. Mm. Likelihood is there could well be some changes that will be needed to that. Yes. Yeah. Um, priority three um, is uh, our systems or repositories that are suspected to hold either personal information or sensitive personal information. So at this stage, we're just doing the high-level triage, understanding which direction, yeah. um, which systems we need to prioritise. So this is we, priority three, we suspect it holds. And uh, priority four is a system or repos- repository that's thought not to hold personal information or, or sensitive personal information. So we're going to leave those ones to the last, essentially, with, um, because we, we believe they're not going to. Now, the main, um, as you go through and you continue with the triage, it may be that um, some of those P4 systems actually are identified to be your P1 or P2. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. you will come back and visit those along with the uh, priority threes. Okay, but having worked out and done that initial triage, you've now got um, a high-level roadmap, at least, uh, to understand what you need to do next. Mm. Um, and you will have, um, at least on the high-level um uh, data classification to say okay. these systems contain personal information. Now, there is a granularity that you need to understand beneath that, okay, which is what constitutes personal information within your organisation. So some of the things that we spoke about earlier on, you know, account numbers, reference numbers, um, cookies on websites, IP addresses, all of those things um, under the terms of GDPR um, can be considered um, personal information. Yeah. So um, that is, um, you know, very much the the first stage and the piece that we were talking about earlier on, understanding that, and then applying that knowledge and that information to the uh, to the databases mm. and to the um, to the systems. Not necessarily a really quick um, process, that, you know, but it's an essential process that people need to be going through. Um, larger organisations, um, you know, bearing in mind, as you said in the introduction, Chris. Um, GDPR has to be in place for end of May 2018. Larger organisations need to be undertaking this process now. Um, you know, very much um, you know, have this underway. Mm-hmm. If they're not got it underway now, um, then obviously um, you know there's still time to get it underway. But the uh, you know if there are systems that need to change, um, either because they hold personal information 
or they're processing personal information, or uh, perhaps because of their geography um, as well, sure. they need to. They, they may even need to change location. It, the, the likelihood is that your mitigation projects and programs are going to um, you know, may be complex. Well, I think more and more people are waking up to the uh, uh, reality of uh, GDPR next year. And I know that because uh, I've been to a number of conferences, really, in um, in the, the in EC3 in London or the, the City of London event, or know, a, a, an Accord Standards event, uh, called an Accord Quarterly Forum last week, where the first mm. speaker was talking about GDPR. Um, and it's, it's obviously it's on people's radars now. But in terms of... Um, in terms of in terms of people that are approaching you, are you getting proactively approached by people asking for advice on GDPR now? Yes, we we are starting to. I mean, um, so, uh, the podcasts and the blog posts um, uh, mean that uh, people are reaching uh, reaching out to us and asking us things like that. Uh, we've been talking to our uh, to our clients uh, about GDPR for the last. Um, eighteen months, two years um, for some of them. Getting them you have been you've been writing about this subject for about eighteen months now, and it just occurred to me. One of the things that occurred to me was there was a report recently uh, because you you deal with a lot of clients in the insurance market, the Lloyd's of London, and the companies market. And there was a report um, uh, released about to call twenty two insurance banana skins for two thousand and seventeen. Mm. Yes, uh, and I was surprised to see that Brexit wasn't as high up the list as I thought it might be. It was mm. lower down, but. If you thought about GDPR, I mean, would you see that as a sort of a top five or a top te- top ten in that list? Where would you, if if you could place it? I'm not sure. I see it as a banana skin, which I think is why it didn't appear on their list. There, um, GDPR is very much around you know change, um, compliance, and governance, obviously, but it's um, really a series of change projects that have to be run successfully. Um, yes, it's about compliance, it's about identifying, it's about data classification, and it's about information security. But in order to get your um, to get your organisation to be compliant, you have to do the assessments, data classification, then you have to make the changes. Um, so I think some organisations are perhaps uh, regarding it as something they don't need to do a great deal with, um, and they're you know, perhaps uh, yeah, perhaps being ostriches with uh, their heads in the sand on it. Um, but I think um, certainly the the organisations and the size organisations that we that we talk to regularly, um, they are aware of it. And um, you know, those that haven't been running uh, running projects, those of our clients who haven't been running projects, we're helping them um, do so. Well, the flip side, of course, is the the opportunity. I mean, if you, you if you see. Uh, meetings and their requirements laid out by GDPR. So, you know, if, you, if you're aiming for the minimum standard, maybe you should be thinking higher than that and setting yourself up with someone who's actually sort of got a gold plate, gold plated or platinum GDPR sort of rating, and that, that will give you maybe a competitive advantage in you know, five years down the line or two years down the line. For some organisations, particularly those who pride themselves or market themselves on on privacy, um, you know, you're, you're right. There could be. Um, there could be a real benefit uh, to them, uh, you know, gold plating some of the GDPR or taking it a step and beyond. The chances are they may well be um, ahead of that curve if uh, if they market themselves or if that's a big differentiator for them. For most organisations, what we say is, you know, look at this um, proportionately, do the right things, have the policies, the processes, the procedures um, in place, make sure that you're being compliant. Obviously, it's, you know, it's the law you're going to have to be. Um, but make sure you're compliant. Don't gold plate it though, unless there's a unless there's a business advantage. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, if in, in, you know, err on the side of caution, um, but do so with in an eyes open, um, 
you know, kind of way, making sure that you're understanding all the, the okay. risks and the issues surrounding it. Okay, well, that's, uh, thanks for, uh, for that, Darren. Um, I think that's hopefully that's explained to everyone in, the, in some depth um, about step step two. <laughs> yeah, I think we've covered, uh, yeah, we've covered a lot. Well, um, there's more in the blog, uh, the blog post as well. If people want to um, read a little bit more about this, um, you can go to www.fifthstep.com and go to the um, uh, to our blog section. Um, and obviously, we're posting this information out on LinkedIn and things like that, so you'll see it appearing there. Yeah, so. of course. Of course, there's the Fifth Step uh, company page on LinkTin, so uh, that's a, that was one we don't really mention for very often, but we're building up a, a bit of a, a list of followers there. So. Yeah, uh, well, and uh, you know, obviously, we'd invite take this opportunity to invite people to follow us on Twitter, um, follow us follow us on LinkedIn, the the company page. Uh, you know, follow me and Chris personally on um, on LinkedIn. Well, yeah, and uh, you'll probably get to see us speaking about this if um, you know if you can take any more on YouTube at some point. But uh, that's, that will keep that one up our sleeve, I think. Well, we don't want to scare the audience no, too much. I think no, our, no. I think we, you know, as we okay. said before, we have faces for radio. So oh, yeah. uh, braving talking. YouTube is. Uh, Why well, dad talking that? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Thanks again, Darren, and uh, until next time. Thanks, Chris. Bye.